So, okay, Daniel chapter 1 in your Bibles this morning. If you would prefer to hear the service translated into Spanish, Brother John Ordonez will be translating that in a room right off the auditorium here. And so if you would like, you can slip out at this time, follow him to that room, and uh, listen to the service translated into Spanish. All right, very good. Daniel chapter number 1, and we're going to bring our series Stand with Commitment to a close this morning. Stand with Commitment. And uh, the, our, our pattern this year with our more Sunday morning series is that we've laid out the truths and then we've, we've shared a Bible character that embodies those truths. And so we'll do that again today with the person of Daniel and his three friends. So most of the time we'll be looking at Daniel and then we'll get into a story about the three Hebrew boys uh, toward the end of the message. Daniel 1, 16 through 21, if you could stand for the reading of God's Word. Daniel chapter number 1. And verse number 16, we'll read down through verse 21. Brother Kyle, could you get me a bottle of water out of that refrigerator? Thank you very much. All right, let, I'll begin in 16. We'll read every other verse responsively uh, aloud. All right, verse 16 says, Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. Together, 17. And as they poor children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, and the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. Our series this, uh, this uh, month has been Stand with Commitment. This morning we're going to look at the life of Daniel, the life of Daniel, the story of Daniel. Let's pray together. Lord, help us as we uh, look at this man who was at the beginning of his life just as much of an ordinary um, a man as, as any of us here. But Lord, he made some commitments in his life, and Lord, he kept those commitments. And Lord, in those commitments, you blessed him and prospered him. And so Lord, help us this morning to see the importance of living a life that's committed and taking a stand for what's right in a world that's pushing on us such evil and darkness Help us to be committed to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. For the last four Sunday mornings, we have looked at the topic of commitment. Commitment is greatly lacking in our culture today. If I could put my finger on a word and say, this right here is greatly lacking in Western culture today, it is the word Commitment. We need commitment in marriage. We need commitment in parenting. We need commitment in house cleanliness. We need commitment to our job. We need commitment to our values and morals. We need commitment to our communities. We need commitment to our church. And we need commitment to our Christ and Christian living. Everywhere we look around us in culture today, we see a lack of of commitment. Marriages are failing. Children are being raised by single parents more and more commonly. People's homes are dirty and falling apart. People are getting fired or switching jobs every year or two. People do what is convenient and what feels good instead of what's right. People are, are in and out of church or switching churches every couple of years. People uh, are uh, hit and miss with their walk with the Lord and inconsistent with their Christian living. Why? Because we lack commitment. We need men and women who will be shining examples of what it means to commit to something or someone and then follow through even when no one is watching, follow through even when they must do it to their own hurt. You make a commitment and it's going to greatly inconvenience you. You give someone your word and it means that it's going to cost you uh, time or money. Uh, you give your word, you follow through on that 
commitment? What do you really have to give someone beyond your word? Everything we have uh, belongs to the Lord and is given to us to steward, but your word is yours. It belongs to you. And when you give it, you need to keep it. It's a matter of commitment. We need Christians who will live a life of commitment. We need Christians who will make a decision to stand for Jesus and then remain committed to that stand. It does not matter who's in your presence. It does not matter what's on the TV. It does not matter what's going on in your life or in your world. When you make a stand for the Lord, when you make a commitment, it might cost you a job. It might cost you a pay raise. It might cost you popularity. It might cost you friendships, but you need to take a stand for the Lord and understand that we need to be committed to that stand through thick and thin. We have looked at four truths that revolve around taking a committed stand over the last four Sundays. The first one we looked at was a heart that is principled. We laid out five principles that involve being committed. Now, I was away Wednesday evening and Brother Owens preached in my place and I understand that he preached on the importance of letting principles guide your life. And you set an overarching principle up and once that principle is in place, it does not matter what the circumstances are, we're going to be loyal to the principle that we put in place. For instance, if you make the commitment that I'm going to go to church every Sunday morning unless I have a fever, then it does not matter what comes up. Church is the principle, and even if it's going to inconvenience your life, you go to church regardless of anything else because that is your principle. Now, that's just an example. Another example could be I'm principled in being loyal to and faithful to my wife, and it does not matter how my wife treats me. It does not matter uh, how my marriage is going. It does not matter uh, how much more compatible I might feel with a another individual, once I've made a commitment to my wife, the overarching principle is that no one else in this world matters romantically to me. My wife is who I am loyal to. My wife is who I am committed to. So we talked about having a heart that is principled toward commitment, trusting God, loving God, denying self, being faithful through thick and thin. These are all principles of commitment that must resound and reside in our heart. Then we looked at the second sermon in the series, we looked at a tongue that is persuasive. And we talked about Nehemiah, how that he was committed to Jerusalem and committed to rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And even though it almost cost him his life in the presence of Artaxerxes the king, and even though uh, Sanballat and Tobiah opposed him and wanted to knock those walls down and prevent them from being built, even though there was fear of rejection from the Jew, uh, those who lived in Judah, uh, he used his tongue to persuade and to follow through on his commitment. Then we looked at uh, the third sermon in the series. We looked at a life of prayer. And we saw how that is important that we schedule a time to pray and that we have a, that grows into a life that prays, a life that prays. We talked about all that it gets accomplished when we spend adequate time praying each day, praising and worshiping God at the beginning, and then taking the time to confess our sins and making sure our sins are confessed in a very detailed way before God. We talked about the importance of taking time to express gratitude for all of the good things that are in your life. Then we talked about praying for others and praying for God to bless us and give us those things we need to get day by day and that growing into a life of prayer where no matter what's going on in my life, I stop and I acknowledge him in all my ways as Proverbs 3, 6 tells us. So we looked at a life of prayer and then we came to the fourth and final message and that was last week. We talked about a mindset of persistence, a mindset of of persistence. And listen, just to uh, briefly recap that sermon, the idea there was that it's not always going to, you're not always going to feel like being a good Christian. You're just not. The old flesh comes and, and kicks in and, and uh, it's easy to want to backslide, right? That's a biblical term. I believe out of the book of Ezekiel, the backsliding, a desire to slide away from God, slide backwards in my growth. And uh, I'm not always going to feel like doing what's right. How many of you have ever woke up on a Sunday morning and you didn't feel like going to church? Be honest. Be honest. You know what? You get up and go anyway, you have to persist. 
We showed the, the video of Derek Redmond who pulled his hamstring in the Olympics in 1992 in Barcelona. And uh, no one would have thought anything of it if he would have just walked off the track. But he pushed everyone to the side. His dad came to his aid, and he and his dad made it around the track and across the finish line uh, to the cheers of 65,000 people. We looked at Hebrews 12, how that we're running a race, and the author and finisher of faith, Jesus, is standing at the finish line with his nail-printed hands wide open, and he's saying, you can do it, you can run, you can run your race. I encourage you to get off the sidelines, if that's where you are, and to get back in the race and press forward. Few biblical characters embody these things better than the prophet Daniel. Daniel lived out all four of those characteristics of, of commitment, of a stand that is committed. So this morning we're going to look at the life of Daniel. We're going to look at his story, and we're going to consider four principal thoughts as we consider this truth, stand for Jesus, stand with commitment. All right, let's jump in here. You ought to be able to fill in the number one, two, three, and four on your own. They've been our four sermons the last uh, month, but, uh, uh, but we're going to give you an A and a B and a C in some cases under each point. Notice number one, a heart that is principled, a heart that is principled. Notice letter A, Judah's demise. Judah's demise. Look back with me at Daniel chapter 1 and look at verse number 1. The Bible says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Aspenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. So what's going on here? Well, for, for hundreds of years, prophets had been preaching in Judah and in Israel, the ten northern tribes, Judah was made up the two southern tribes, had been preaching and saying, you need to get right with God or God's going to remove this barrier of protection and an enemy is going to come in and besiege you. And the people ignored the preaching of the prophets. Well, eventually the uh, prophets got more pointed with their preaching and it wasn't just, hey, some enemy somewhere is going to come in and get you. The preaching to the ten northern tribes was Assyria is going to come in and conquer you. And to the two southern tribes it became Babylon is going to come in and conquer you. And lo and behold, there was a day where God removed his hand of protection and the Israelites, were uh, the, the, those who lived in Judah, fell under siege uh, of Babylon. And the Babylonians came in and burnt their temple to the ground and began sieging and raiding the city and taking people out little at a time until the walls had been burned and the people that were left behind were the poorest of the poor of the city. There was a group left behind in Jerusalem. Jeremiah would make his way back to them, but they were the low of the low of the city. They were the ones that the Babylonians wanted nothing to do with. So watch this now. Um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar sends Aspenaz in, and um, uh, he, he is to draw out uh, youth, children, teenagers that are smart, that are high IQ'd, that are well-spoken, articulate, uh, they have wisdom, they have education, they're developed teenagers. They're the cream of the crop of the school system, if you will. And he is to grab those uh, out of Jerusalem and he's to bring them back so those youth can be re-indoctrinated and brainwashed to think like someone who was born and raised in Babylon. And so Daniel, along with his three friends, Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah, those are their Jewish names, and they were given new names. Daniel was given the name Belteshazzar. We just know him as Daniel. But the other three boys were named Shadrach, Meshach, 
and Abednego. How many of you are more familiar with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And so that's how most of us know them because that's how they're generally taught in Sunday school. But they're brought back, and listen, they're ripped up from their homes, all right? Again, I say this often, it bears repeating, we, we look at history and we become emotionally detached from what happened. Stop and think about that. Some of you are teenagers in the room. Think about that. As much as you maybe don't always like mom and dad and you roll their eyes at what they say, imagine some soldier kicking your door in who doesn't speak your language and grabbing you and ripping you out of your home and taking you to another country. And now they're going to teach you a new language, new customs, new culture, new food, and you never get to see your family again. This is what happened to Daniel and his buddies. This happened, okay? And so what was the demise? Yes, their city was burned. Yes, their people were kidnapped. But these children were separated from their parents, and they were taken into captivity where they would be brainwashed, or at least there would be an attempt to brainwash them. And they would be in captivity because of their sin for 70 years. Letter A, we see Judah's demise. Letter B, notice Daniel's determination. Now, we're talking about this morning how Daniel had a heart that is principle. Now, picture this with me. Daniel and his three friends, along with many other uh, acquaintances and peers and uh, others who he would have known growing up with, gone to school with, they're grabbed and taken and they're drugged out of uh, Judah. They're taken to Babylon. They're put in the palace. They're put in housing, bunk-type housing. And uh, they're told, uh, break these boys down like the military and build them up to think like a Babylonian Boy, look at verse number 5 of Daniel 1. The Bible says, And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and of, Mishael, um, of, of Meshach, and of Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart. Look at verse 8. Daniel purposed in his heart. Here are those principles that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. So Daniel's put in this housing and he's uh, brought in and sat around a table. Now listen, uh, these boys are going from a declining country in Judah to the most powerful nation that maybe has ever been. We all know about Rome and how big and impressive Rome is, and we have all these sayings that still tie into Rome, like what? Like, all roads lead to... Yeah, and uh, there's a bunch of them out there like that, and we know about the Roman Empire, but do you know that the Babylonian Empire was so much bigger and more impressive than the Roman Empire, it would have cast a shadow and made the Roman Empire look quite small and frail. Uh, we think of American dominance, and the U.S. of A. has been uh, of great dominance for uh, several hundred years now in the world. The Babylonian Empire would have made America look like Switzerland in today's day. The, the Babylonian Empire was big and large and impressive. And here, uh, these boys are being brought in, and, and uh, everything's different. They're being brought into a palace, and, uh, you know, big, tall walls, and high ceilings, and impressive tapestry, and artwork. And they're being sat down at a table, and where they had just been sort of eating, you know, porridge to get by in their home country, now they're having the finest cuts of steak slid in front of them. They had been uh, uh, grappling for, you know, water or, or vine juice. Now they're being slid in front of them the finest of the king's wine for them to be dab drunk. Can you imagine there? They know that this meat's been offered up to idols. And they know that they've been taught, you're not to eat that. And that wine, you're not to drink that. But they look around and say, well, my mom and dad aren't here. And, and if God cared for me, He wouldn't have allowed me to be taken into captivity. Well, you know what? That steak sure looks awfully good. That wine sure looks awfully tasty. I think I'm just going to go along to get along. But Daniel looked down at that meat, 
And he said, I have a principle in my heart that that's not right. This isn't just something my parents taught me. This is something I believe inside. And so he pushed the meat away and he pushed the wine away. He said, my heart is principled. I'm going to take a stand for who I am as an Israeli boy. I'm going to take a stand on what is right. I will not partake. Boy, we sure do need some young people in 2021 who will stand up and say, I'm not going to go along with the culture. I'm not going to go along to get along. I'm going to know what I believe and not just what my parents believe, not just what my pastor believes, not just what the life group leader tells me to believe. I'm going to believe what the Bible says down in my heart and I'm going to take a stand for what's right and I'm going to live a life that is principled even if it means some sacrifices along the way, a heart that is principled. Next with Daniel, we see a tongue that is persuasive, a tongue that is persuasive. So Daniel made a determination down in his heart. Verse 8 says he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He would not participate in this sin. But notice that while Daniel was dog-determined in his heart to do right, he was kind in his approach. Letter A, notice Daniel's Favor, Daniel's favor. Look at verse number 8 with me of Daniel chapter 1. The Bible says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Look here. Therefore, what are those next two reads? Read them them out loud for me. Therefore, he requested. He did not have a bad attitude about it. He didn't push the meat away and climb up on top of the table and say, I'm not going to eat this meat. You can't force it down my throat. What is this wickedness before me? (laughs) He pushed it away, sure, but he got up and with a kind spirit, he went to the cook, to the chef. He went to the man, Aspenaz, in charge, the eunuch who was in charge of for the king of getting these boys ready to be presented to Nebuchadnezzar, he went and he said, can I make a request? I request that I not eat this. Let's keep reading. Look look back at verse number 8, the end of verse number 8, where we left off. It says, therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. He was determined and principled inside of his heart not to do it. He used his tongue with the eunuch and made a request that he not have to violate his religious duties and not eat the meat. Now look at verse 9. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. You see, Daniel made a decision to stand for what was right. And in so doing, he made the right stand the right way. And God blessed that and gave him favor with the man that was in charge. I talked about this when we were in the sermon, a tongue that is persuasive. I'll I'll, I'll highlight this again. Uh, Listen, it's not just important that you do what's right. It's important that you do right the right way. Romans says, let not your good be evil spoken of. And uh, I know some people who will go to work and they'll run their mouth about the Lord and they've got their Bible and they're not using it like a scalpel to very carefully make a surgical cut and, and, and help someone. They go in like a wild ninja with their samurai sword just swinging, trying to take off anybody and everybody's head they can and they're abusive with the Bible and they're mean with the Bible and their attitude is, well, God's Word won't return void. God's Word's not going to return void, but your spirit with that Bible will return void. Daniel did not go in uh, making demands. Daniel went in making requests. Daniel had favor because of his spirit and God blessed his spirit. God blessed his principled heart and God gave him favor with the eunuch. Letter B, notice the eunuch's fear. The eunuch's fear. We live in a world that is controlled by fear. We live in a world where people make decisions based out of fear. We're afraid of what someone's going to think of us. We're afraid of how we might get sick. We're afraid of something that could kill us. We're afraid of, um, uh, of, of how someone will respond in the grocery store. We're afraid of what our family will think if they find out we're going to church or we're, going, we're, doing, we're doing this. And uh, we're, we're fearful and we let fear dictate. That's a worldly attribute. And this eunuch was no different. Look at verse 10. The Bible says, And the prince of the eunuch 
said unto Daniel, I fear my Lord the King, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should you, uh, why, for why should he see your face worse liking than the children which are of your sword? Then shall ye make my, me endanger my head to the king. Now this guy had every reason to be afraid, did he not? Nebuchadnezzar could have his head chopped off if this didn't go well. Nebuchadnezzar would have had his head chopped off if this didn't go well. We live in a country where uh, power, political power is equally divided across three branches of government. There weren't three branches of government. There was one, and his name was King Nebuchadnezzar, and he could do whatever he wanted whenever he wanted. He was a powerful, powerful guy. And so Nebuchadnezzar had told this eunuch, feed them this and give them this to drink. Those were the orders. And Daniel comes and says, from, now that's top down, bottom up, Daniel says, I don't want to eat that. Could I eat this diet instead? And the guy goes, well, Daniel, I really like you, but you know what? If I take you before the king and you're a scrawny looking little guy, off with my head. He's like, I don't know about this. And so we see that this man was afraid. You know, a lot of people do a lot of things today. They, uh, they, they handle you in such a way, Christian, that might come across as unkind toward your faith and unkind toward your belief system. Can I tell you that a lot of people are just afraid? They're afraid. And they need you, Christian, to be confident in who you are in Christ. Everybody look up here at me a minute. If Christians would go about presenting their faith with the right spirit and with a strong confidence in Christ, the world's opinion of Christianity would skyrocket. Now, we have Satan working behind the scenes to help, pe- help people hate Christianity. But the average person out there that has a bad taste in their mouth with Christianity, can I tell you why it is? They had a bad, they had a bad experience with a Christian, someone who claimed to be a Christian. Let's represent Christ well. Let's use our tongues in a way that represent us well. A tongue that is persuasive. We see here the eunuch was afraid and Daniel came in with words that were calming. Let her see. We see Daniel's fervency. Daniel's fervency. Quickly, look at verse number 11. The Bible says, Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hanani, Mishael, and Azari. So uh, Melzar's working uh, under uh, another gentleman who's working under the king. And so you can see the, the, uh, the, the, the order here, the ladder uh, of order here. Verse 12, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenance be looked upon before thee. And and the countenance of the children uh, that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in the matter and proved them ten days. And at the end of ten days their countenance appeared fair and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Then Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine which they should drink and gave them pulse, gave them pulse. So what happened here? Daniel says to Melzar, he says, Let's do an experiment. This, this is going to be a long process of eating, uh, uh, of being prepared to, to stand before the king, before presented before the king. Let's do a 10-day experiment. For 10 days, give us pulse, give us the food that fits our diets, dietary restrictions, religious restrictions, and then give them, give everyone else what you want to give them, but give me and my friends this, and then let's compare and see. You know, that worked out so well. Daniel came back, his, his flesh was fairer and fatter and healthier. The king looked at Daniel and he looked at everyone else and he said, no more meat, you're going to eat what Daniel and his buddies are eating. Why? Because Daniel was fervent about it. Daniel said, this is what I want you to do. Let's go with this and let's give it a shot and see. And Daniel worked things over with his tongue. His tongue was persuasive. You know, for a lot of people in the world out there, the jury's out on what they think about Christianity. They're not sure what to believe. And Christian, you use your tongue to be persuasive and you show them that the Christian life is worth living. Look at verse number 20 and verse 21 with me, the end of the chapter. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them. This is Daniel and Hanani, Mishael, Azariah. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued, notice that word continued, even 
under the first year of King Cyrus. What's that mean? That means Daniel lived for the Lord. He stood for what was right for his entire life until he was an old, old, old man. Now look here. Notice it says they were ten times better. Now um, the king already had astrologers and magicians that worked for him. You know, he'd have a, we'll see in a moment, he would have, uh, he would need a prophet of, or, per se uh, within his realm, and he would bring in someone who was labeled an astrologer, someone who studied the stars, or someone who was a magician. And, and, and these men were well educated, they were well read, they were well studied, uh, they were good at their craft, if you will. Uh, probably satanic powers were involved there. But Daniel comes in, and Daniel is using his tongue to persuade him. The king interviews Daniel and his friends, and the king walks away, and he's so impressed with Daniel, he says, you all are ten times better than these guys in my kingdom. A tongue that is persuasive. Number three, notice a life of prayer. A life of prayer. Notice below that letter A, his prayers of desperation. Speaking of Daniel, his prayers of desperation. So as the story goes, Daniel chapter 2. One night, the king has a troubling dream. Now, back in this dispensation or era of time, God would speak to people through dreams. And dreams meant something, especially if you were a powerful man like Nebuchadnezzar was. In fact, the more power you have, the more ramifications some of these dreams had. Well, as the story goes, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he was troubled by his dream. And when he woke up, he could not remember the dream. You ever had that happen where you woke up and you want to tell someone the dream you had and all of a sudden you can't remember, you know that emotionally it got you wound up, but you couldn't really remember what you dreamed. Now I want to ask a, a, a question here. This is sort of an unofficial experiment. How many of you dream regularly and you remember your dreams? Would you hold up your hand? How many of you here think that you never dream or you don't know that you dream? Okay, I would put myself more in that second camp. I used to, but... About, it's probably about 50-50 split. So how many of you here don't understand the question? Okay. Some of you didn't raise your hand. Okay. So um, we, we have uh, those who remember their dreams and those who don't. But Daniel uh, Nebuchadnezzar didn't. And so he calls his astrologers and magicians in. And he says to them, guys, I have a problem. He says, I had a really troubling dream last night, and I don't remember what the dream was. He said, I need you guys to do two things for me. Number one, tell me what I dreamed. And number two, tell me what it means. And the guys say, well, well, king, if you can tell us what you dreamed, we'd be happy to tell you what it means. And the king's like, you guys are astrologers and magicians. If I tell you my dream, you guys will go in a back room and come up with something that's believable and tell me, and how will I know if it's accurate or not? He's like, if you are who you say you are, then tell me what I dreamed and tell me what it means. And in verse 1 through 14 lays this out. The guys are trying to be respectful, but basically they say, hey, king, no one ever asks anyone to ever do this. This is an unreasonable request. And the king loses his cool. And the king says, you're going to do what I tell you to do or every magician and astrologer in the kingdom will have their heads chopped off. And the guy's like, well, sorry. We can't do it. So the king orders one of his men to go around and kill all of the astrologers and magicians. And so, you know, Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, have been lumped into this crowd. And so there's a knock at the door. Daniel opens the door. And the guy said, I'm here to kill you. (laughs) What? You're here to kill me? And he explains the whole thing to Daniel. And Daniel says, there is a God in heaven. Give me some time and tell the king I will come and tell him what he dreamed and what it means. Look at verse 15 with me. Daniel chapter 2 and look at verse 15. He answered and said to, this is Daniel, he answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time, and that he would show the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the things known to Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret. 
Then Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was re- then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. See the desperation here. And he, changed, and he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth uh, what is in the darkness and the light uh, dwelleth in them. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who has given, who has given me wisdom and might and has made me known uh, unto me now uh, what, with what, uh, what we desired of thee. For thou hast now made known Unto us the kings matter. He has a prayer meeting that lasts all night long. Him and his three friends, they get into a room, they close the door, they get on their face before God, and they praise the God of heaven for who he is, and they ask God in desperation, give us the dream and the interpretation thereof. Desperate times called for desperate matters. Now, my friend, it is important that when your life gets wacky and chaotic and problematic, that your knee-jerk reaction, your reflex, be to turn to God in prayer. Can I tell you what many of us do? When things don't go our way, we sulk. And then after we're done, or while we're sulking, we pick up the phone and we call a loved one or a friend and we bear our problem to them and talk about how terrible Our situation is. And then when we're done with that, we turn to a coping mechanism. For some of us, that's food. Notice I said us. Amen? Some of us, that's food. Others, it's, you know, TV or entertainment or music or crawling into bed and pulling the covers up over your head and pretending the world doesn't exist. Listen, as many of us as there are here, there are that many coping mechanisms. What should we do when things get chaotic in our life? Christian, what should we do? We should pray. Things got desperate, and Daniel didn't uh, look to escape and run away. Daniel didn't look to go hide. Daniel said, let me speak to the king. King, give me some time. I'm going to pray about this. A life of prayer. You're going to make a committed stand for Christ. You're going to have to learn how to spend time, and sometimes significant time in prayer. How many of you enjoy the property of White Oak Baptist Church? Raise your hand if you enjoy the property of White Oak Baptist Church. Do you know that Pastor Brown, along with some other men in this church, came here and took their shoes off and walked this property and prayed and begged God to give us this property? And then after many uh, hours of prayer, many uh, prayer sessions held on this property, uh, some time went by and the property became available for sale We put an offer in, or Pastor Brown had an offer put in on this building that was well below asking price, and it was accepted, and this property was uh, given to us at a discounted rate because Pastor Brown and some men in this church prayed and asked God to do what seemed to be the impossible. You and I pull up on this property week after week, month after month, year after year, not even realizing that this is a product of prayer. This property is a product of prayer. Of prayer, some of you sit in here today. You're you're new to church, or maybe you've been here a long time, and you got here because someone got on their knees and they prayed for you. They were desperate over your soul, and they prayed for you, and God saved your soul. And here you are today. Prayers of desperation. Notice his prayers of distribution. His prayers of distribution. Look down at Daniel chapter two and verse twenty-four. Now he prayed, yes, for his own skin. But he also prayed because the king had a need, and he prayed on behalf of the king. Therefore Daniel went in unto uh, Arioch, whom the king had uh, ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. The king answered, Answered and said to Daniel, 
whose name was Belteshazzar, art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? Look how Daniel's careful to give the Lord credit here. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets. And maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the vision of thy head upon thy bed are these. He goes on and tells him what the dream was and what it meant. And for the sake of the message this morning, I just want to show you that Daniel went to prayer on behalf of someone else. And God gave him that answer to that prayer so Daniel could turn around and pass that blessing on to someone else. Daniel's life of prayer did not just involve praying for his own self. It involved praying for the needs of others. Let her see, notice his prayers of devotion, his prayers of devotion. Look at verse number 10 of Daniel chapter 6. You know the story here. Daniel is, um, there's a new king in town now. Uh, the kingdom's been changed over uh, to a man named Darius. Darius is a king, and Darius has restructured the governmental system. And so he has three men who he's made presidents below. So you have the king, you have three presidents, and then you have 120 men that answer to these three presidents that answer to the king. And so Daniel was made the chiefest of the three presidents, okay? And so he's the top of the three presidents, and then you've got the 120 men under them, and there's a lot of envy involved here. And so these men wanted to politically destroy Daniel. So what did they do? They said, we're going to catch Daniel doing something wrong, we're going to bring that before the king, and we're going to have him removed from his position. And so they scrutinized Daniel left and right. If it would have been today's media, they would have followed him home. They would have followed him to the gas station. They would have followed him to the grocery store. They would have followed him everywhere looking for him to do something wrong. And they finally came to the conclusion, this Daniel guy's buttoned up, man. He's got it all together. There's not really a lot we can do. We can't find anything wrong in him except for this one area where he's very devout to his God. You see, Daniel, three times a day, would open his windows of his, of his house toward Jerusalem, and he would sit in that window or kneel in that window, and he would pray toward Jerusalem morning, afternoon, and evening. Morning, noon, and night. Morning, noon, and night. And so these guys came up with a plan. They went to the king, and they said, Oh, king, they poured on the flattery. Don't you hate it when someone flatters you? You know? I have someone walk up to me and say, you know, Pastor Lejeune, you're one of the most handsome people on planet Earth. And I say, you are flattering me because I know better than that. Amen. Don't lie to me. Okay. Uh, I love your full head of hair. Oh, stop. Right. Um, I love when the kids, you know, the kids in master clubs, they'll draw, you know, they'll make cards for me. And inevitably, some, one of them will draw me, and they'll draw me with, like, this massive, like, afro hair. And I'm like, I love you so much. Thank you. And, um, uh, but uh, they go, and they're pouring the flattery on the king, and they say, you know, king, you're the greatest. I mean, you're the greatest uh, thing walking planet Earth. And you know what? This idea of people worshiping anyone other than you we have to put a stop to that. Hey, King, sign this degree and put it in the law that over the next X number of days, uh, if anyone worships anyone other than you, they will be thrown into a pit of lions. And man, the king is lifted up in pride and thinks, you know what, I am pretty great. And so they write it all up and, you know, like a contract, they write up this big long thing and, and the king takes his ring and he stamps the bottom of it, meaning it's signed into law and cannot be undone. Well, this is a setup job. Because they know Daniel's devo so devoted to God that he's probably going to pray anyway. And so Daniel now knows that this has been put into writing. Look at verse 10, Daniel chapter 6. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in the chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. 
Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decrees. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. And they said, King, Daniel has prayed before his God. And they took Daniel, and by decree against what the king wanted, they threw the chief of the presidents, the second in command of the country, they threw him in a den of lions. Now you all know the story, right? He got thrown into a den of lions, and he made a pillow out of the stomach of one of those lions. He slept all night with the lions. God shut the mouth of the lions up. And the next day morning he was let out. And they took these men who had wrote, written this up. And they had them thrown in. And the mouth of the lions was open. And the lions had them a nice, delicious supper. Amen. They enjoyed themselves. Daniel was spared. But listen, we know the story. And we know that Dan, story of Daniel in the lion's den. You know Daniel didn't know the story of Daniel in the lion's den? You know Daniel had no idea. Can I just tell you what I probably would have done if I had been Daniel? I would have gone in and I would have pulled my windows closed and I would have gotten down on my knees and I would have prayed where nobody could see me. How many of you probably are with me on that? The rest of you are more spiritual than us, amen? Daniel said, I don't care if they see me or not. I'm not ashamed of my God. I'm going to take a stand by kneeling on my knees before the King of Heaven. You know, Daniel was so devoted to God, he was willing to risk his own life in prayer. Now, we live in a country where prayer is not challenged. We live in a country where you're not going to be punished for praying. I go to go out to eat uh, almost every week, and at some point in that week, I'm sitting in, in that restaurant, and you know what I do before I eat in that restaurant? I bow my head and I pray. Inevitably, the, uh, the uh, server comes up while I'm praying. It's like, you know, and, and different servers handle that different ways, right? And sometimes they stand there respectfully. Other times they're like shoving stuff on the table. But, uh, you know, I've never been arrested for praying at a restaurant. You know, where we have freedom to pray... We usually don't. I'm talking about culturally. But let persecution come against the Christian, and then if you're going to pray or not, that will really be ratcheted up. Hey, I just want to say this. I don't want God to have to send persecution my way to get me to start praying. A devoted prayer life, devoted in prayer even if it meant being thrown in the, a den of lions, into a prison cell, I will pray before my God. A life of prayer. Number four, lastly notice, a mindset of persistence. A mindset of persistence. Well, we turn to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for this last thought here in away from Daniel. Now, some have wondered where Daniel was when uh, the bowing down to the statue happened, and some have surmised or speculated that maybe Daniel was away on a business trip for the king or had grown in enough authority within the kingdom where he was not made to bow. We don't know that, but the story is about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Notice letter A, sinful demands. Sinful demands. Look at Daniel chapter 3, and look with me at verse number 1. Turn over to Daniel 3, and let's look at verse 1. We'll read down through verse 6. The Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was three score cubits, and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up into the plains of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, and the sheriffs, and the rulers of the province to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, and captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and the rulers of the province were gathered together under the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald uh, cried out, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, Sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up, and whoso falleth 
not down and worshipeth, shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Here you have a inferno waiting on the side. Now I just want to make this simple, obvious observation. If you've got to have a fire to convince people to bow down to your statue, then they ain't bowing down because they want to. Nebuchadnezzar, you made a statue of yourself because you're such a narcissist. You want people to worship you in the form of this huge 60-cubit statue. And you're threatening to put people in fire if they don't. No one's worshiping because they want to. You know, um, we live in a day and age to where I just don't know what to do with myself. I'm, I'm left, like many of you, dumbfounded and perplexed at the demands that the world puts on me. To, to just not only accept, but celebrate. What I'm expect, expected to celebrate. And you know, sin is sin is sin. And sin is moral filth. And people want to waller around in their moral filth and say, Look at me, I'm making dirty and sin look cool and fun. Hey, come join me. And I say, I don't really want to join you. You hate me! No, I don't hate you. I just don't want to waller around in immoral filth. You need to celebrate me. It's Pride Month. Don't you know? Well, you want me to tell you what the Bible says about pride? Pride cometh before a fall. Only by pride cometh contention. No, I don't want anything to do with Pride Month. The world is constantly pushing and pushing and pushing, and pushing. I just have to say this, and I don't mean to be unkind toward anyone this morning, either here in the auditorium or outside of the auditorium. It's never my uh, idea to want to be unkind or mean, but I, I just want to be very clear on this, that Christians need to push back against a sinful culture. Now, we can push back the way Daniel did. We can purpose in our heart and then request and be kind and favorable, but we need to push back. Because if you don't, get, if you don't push back, you will get steamrolled and run over. We live in a world today that's telling us you need to celebrate these things. Now, um, I remember back, uh, I'm old enough to remember a time where premarital sex was looked down upon in church. And I'm not talking about just churches like this one. I'm talking about by church cultures. And, uh, you know, the idea of sex existing outside of marriage was frowned upon by uh, Christians or those who called themselves Christians. And now churches are filled with people and there's even activities in certain churches that are scheduled for folks who live together. You know, there's marriage retreats held in churches or rather there are couples conferences held in churches and whether you're married or not, it doesn't matter. Just come on and have a good time anyway while you're living in in sin uh, with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or sometimes with your girlfriend and your girlfriend or your boyfriend and your boyfriend. And uh, we, we have a church age and church era that just accepts it. I just want to say this this morning. God does not whisper about sexual sin. The Bible is strong on this topic and says, do not even let it be named among you. We need Christians who will push back against the sinful demands. Now here, it's idolatry. They're being told to bow. And the, uh, the, the, the Ten Commandments, the law of Moses said, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt uh, worship the Lord thy God, and Him only are you to worship. And so they knew this demand was being pushed on them. Were they going to persist? Let her be noticed. A sober decision. A sober decision. Look down with me at Daniel chapter number 3 and verse number 16. The Bible says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And so, if you can imagine, you've got these three Hebrew boys, and they're standing in a pool of thousands of people. The music begins to play. Everybody gets down on their knees and bows down to this statue. And these three boys are just standing there looking around. Thousands of people. 
And they're the only ones. Sticking out like a green thumb. You know, I, I imagine there may have been, oh, who knows, 10,000, 100,000 people there. They were the only ones not to bow. And so some guard who's probably kneeling down looks up and sees him and he hops up and he says, boys, you better bow right now or you're going to die. And they say, no, we're not going to bow. And so they grab him by the arm and drag him up on in front of the king and the king's sitting there and on his throne and they say, hey, king, uh, you know, uh, these three guys wouldn't bow. And the king says, let me sweetly tell you one more time. When the music plays, you bow. And the guys look at the king and say, hey, we're not even going to be careful in what we say to you right now. You can request all you want. We are not going to bow. You want to throw us in the fiery furnace? Go ahead. Our God's able to save us. But even if He chooses not to, we're still not going to bow. We need some Christians with some backbone who will stand up and say, I don't care what sinful demands get put on me. I'm not going to bow. A mindset of persistence, my friend. I know what I believe. I know why I believe it. And I'm not going to fight with someone over something that really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. But when it comes to Christian living, I will take a stand for Christ. And I will bear my cross. Well, as you can imagine, this didn't set well with the king. He wanted these men to bow down to his statue. And when they wouldn't, he lost it. He flipped his lid. He... He, uh, he, what's the phrase there? Uh, lost his cool. Um, he, he, uh, I remember my mom would always say to me, you need to cool your jets. I'm like, mom, that's from like the 1960s. You need to stop saying that. Amen. Um, but, uh, you, uh, would, uh, lost his, uh, he, he lost his cool. He said, turn the fire up seven times hotter. Not only are they going to die, they're going to die hot. It's going to be worse. I mean, as if it's not bad enough to be thrown in fire. Let's make it seven times hotter. Look at letter C. We see their surreal deliverance. Their surreal deliverance. Look at Daniel chapter 3 and verse number 22. We're almost done. The Bible says, uh, Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the, of the uh, fire, and the princes, governors, captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose body the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their head singed, neither were, uh, were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which spake uh, anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other god that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Don't you love when a story has a happy ending? Now, I finish with this. All the way back to Lucifer, there have been people who want to flex their muscles and show how bigger they are than God. Nebuchadnezzar right here, he is the king of the most powerful country maybe that this world has ever seen. He has a statue of himself erected. He calls in uh, the, the, the rulers of, of his kingdom to come and bow before this, do allegiance to this statue of himself. You know what he's doing? He's flexing his muscles and saying, I'm bigger 
and better than God. Three men have enough backbone, have enough persistence, have enough stick to to say, we only bow to God. We will not bow to you. God stood up behind Nebuchadnezzar and flexed his muscles and said, you think you're big and bad, watch what I can do. Can I tell you that the God of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the same God available to you right here and right now. You know why God doesn't do more of this? Because Christians are cowering. We need Christians who will stand up and say, God, I'm daring you to show this world that you're bigger and better than them. And I will take a stand for what's right. I'll do it with the right spirit. I'll do it with a smile on my face. I'll do it with the right attitude. I'll do it the best way I can. But Lord, when I put myself out there and I put myself in harm's way, I'm counting on You to come through. While God doesn't always come through in every situation, He picks and chooses those times. My friend, you give the world a chance to see how great your God is. But they can't see that until you decide to take a stand and you stay committed to that stand even when it's not easy. You know, I think that the world respects a Christian who is consistent even when they disagree with his beliefs than they do a Christian who's wishy-washy and squishy and goes along with the crowd they're with to get along. We need Christians who will be like Daniel, Hanani, Mishael, Azariah, and take a stand and do it for the Lord. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. You've been an easy audience to preach to today, and for that I'm very, very, very thankful. You've listened well. But let's not be guilty of falling into this trap of being a good listener but being a poor doer. God's not going to give you any prizes in heaven because you went to church and listened to sermons. He awards those who take what they hear and put it into practice. Christian, are you taking a stand? Are you doing what's right? Are you committed to that stand? Is living for the Lord and bearing your cross at the top of the priority list of your life? Only one life, so soon it will pass. Only what you've done for Christ will last. Are we standing? Are we standing? How many of you here this morning would say, Pastor Lejeune, something that was said in the message this morning, something out of the life of those in the book of Daniel, has challenged me this morning. I see some areas where I need to grow and improve. Pastor, here's my hand. Would you please pray for me? How many here say, Pastor, please pray. Pray that God will help me in my stand for what's right. Lord, help us this morning. Help us to take the message and, Lord, make applications to our lives. May we leave here changed in Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. The altar's open. The piano's playing. If you raised your hand just a moment ago, will you come and kneel and tell the Lord, I want to take a stand for you, Jesus. I want to do what's right, even when it's not convenient, even when it's not easy. Pastor Andrew, if you'd come and find your way here to the front. If you uh, are uh, here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you, my friend, the most important thing you could ever do is call on the Lord to give you the gift of eternal life. Our assistant pastor, Andrew McGuire, standing right here, he would love to take the Bible or have a lady take the Bible and show you how you can know you're going to heaven someday. Don't leave here until you get that matter settled. If you're here today and you're saved but you've never been baptized, scripturally baptized, we'd like to help you to follow the Lord in that decision at this time. Maybe like member, information about membership, we'd like to give that to you. chew you up and spit you out. The world will use you for a purpose and discard you when it's done with you. My friend, you stand for Jesus. 
He's not going to use you. He's going to use himself to help you. There's two kingdoms in this world, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. Sometimes as Christians, we become so enamored with the kingdom of darkness, we fail to stand for what's right. Let's give Jesus our heart this morning. Let's make a decision that no matter what the world throws at us, we're going to live for him. thank you so much for a chance to look at the life of Daniel and his three friends this morning. Thank you, Lord, for a Bible that not only tells us how to live, but gives us examples of those who've gone before us and done it. Lord, I know sometimes I fall in the trap of looking at people like Daniel and Joseph and Moses and David and Peter and James and John and Paul, and I think that they're on another plane and they had a special favor with you But, Lord, you're not a respecter of persons. And, God, if you can do it for them, you can do it for us. Lord, it wasn't just men you used. Women like Esther and Rahab and Naomi. Lord, Mary in the New Testament, in fact, several Marys in the New Testament, you used them to accomplish a great work. Lord, male or female, young and old, wealthy and poor. Lord, the various cultures and races that are represented in this church, you're not a respecter of persons. You need us to stand for what's right. Lord, help us to do so sweetly, but help us to do so sternly. Lord, be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.